Can we just take a moment, please? Just take a moment to soak in one particular week one performance. Drink in Christian McCaffrey. Because you're hearing very little about Christian McCaffrey this week, and you will hear very little about him through Sunday. Why? Because Christian McCaffrey is a known quantity. He's a known quantity who's not on the main slate in DFS. So when you listen to fantasy football shows and you read fantasy football articles this week, start a program in the back of your head counting the syllables and the characters between mentions of Christian McCaffrey because we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of words written and spoken without a single mention of one of the greatest players for fantasy football in the history of the league. We are living in special times. A special time when Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey are in their early 20s at their freshest. This is a great time to be alive. For all the joking about Saquon Barkley's generational talent hood, he is in fact a generational talent. It just happens to be at a position that doesn't move the needle in actual NFL games. The running back position is usually not a difference maker. That's why after Ezekiel Elliott signed his contract with the Dallas Cowboys, the line didn't move. You think if Dak Prescott were holding out and then suddenly signed before the season started, that he would have moved the line at all? You think? Dak Prescott looks the part of a top five fantasy quarterback this year. He has everything we want. He's accurate to all quadrants of the football field. He's surrounded by an above average supporting cast, both the wide receiver core, and the offensive line. The schedule is as good as it gets in the first half of the season. The Cowboys' schedule is comically good. And I will talk to Lance Zerline from the NFL Network about Dak Prescott and his schedule and his fantasy potential this season. Konami code check, talent check, weaponry check. Dak Prescott check, check, check. And I rarely spend free agent auction budget money on quarterbacks because the position is so deep, it's easy to stream, just the best quarterback available with a great matchup in any given week. But I decided to spend 10% of my free agent auction budget on Dak Prescott in the Friends of Roto World League because I believe he gives me an advantage on the competition. That his value over stream will be at least plus two. And because the schedule in the first half is so soft, I won't need to bench him at all for the majority of the fantasy season. That's the beauty of Dak Prescott. You see how easy it is to get distracted by players who are available? So many fantasy articles and podcast segments are about who's available, who can be acquired on the waiver wire, who can be acquired via trade, who can you activate off your bench and put in your starting lineup that you may not have been considering otherwise. None of that applies to Christian McCaffrey. Which is why he's not discussed. He's just assumed. He's reached a place where his greatness is just assumed. You take it for granted. I did it today. I have Christian McCaffrey in a handful of seasonal leagues, and I just scanned right past him, looking for the problems with my roster, the trouble spots, failing to genuflect at the feet of the player that won me my matchup! He's going to finish as the top player in all of fantasy football. The number one running back and the 101 in 2020. 
Christian McCaffrey is fun and he delivers. And he has very few comps. It's hard to find a good comparable to Christian McCaffrey, but I have one. His name is Marshall Falk. If you haven't heard of him, he was a running back at San Diego State, a whack conference running back, a true whack conference. Put up over 4,500 yards rushing and close to 1,000 yards receiving at San Diego State. Truly impressive. That was across three years because Marshall Falk was a starting running back for three straight years. In just two years as a starter at Stanford, Christian McCaffrey posted a season with even more rush attempts than Marshall Falk ever had at San Diego State. And there were no better options at San Diego State. They wanted to feed Marshall Falk. Every coach at San Diego State was incentivized to give Marshall Falk as many touches as he could handle. And yet, he didn't touch the ball as much as Christian McCaffrey in Christian McCaffrey's true sophomore season, 337 attempts for over 2,000 rushing yards and another 45 receptions for 645 yards. 2,664 yards from scrimmage in his sophomore season. Christian McCaffrey was a Heisman candidate, as was Marshall Falk, both weighing in at 202 pounds at the college level. When Marshall Falk retired... He was 211 pounds. He put on nine pounds during his career. Christian McCaffrey has already added three to five pounds of muscle. Check out the training camp photos. That's muscle. And once in a while, a generational talent comes along the back of an era and defies conventional wisdom. We saw that with Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was was under 200 pounds. But because he was the fastest running back in the history of the NFL, he was able to carve out a career as a primary back. It's rare, but it's possible. If the running back has a skill set that is just so exceptional that he can succeed as a true outlier. That was Chris Johnson. That was Marshall Falk. And that's Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is a generational talent for different reasons than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley has... The best size-adjusted athleticism we've seen at the position with excellent receiving skills and the ability to run the ball between the tackles and outside the tackles. And it doesn't matter. The Giants will lose and continue to lose regardless of Saquon Barkley's abilities because running back talent can only improve offensive efficiency on the margins. They matter, but they matter very little. In fact, the difference between how much the casual fan believes they matter and how much they actually matter is the reason why running backs don't matter. I mean, they do matter, but you could just go ahead and say they don't matter based on the perception and the reality of the value they deliver to their franchise. But once upon a time, Bill Belichick was in his first Super Bowl as a head coach, going up against the greatest show on turf in the biggest game of his career. What did Bill Belichick do? Stop Marshall Falk. You might think, oh, pressure Kurt Warner, that's the move. Hell, it's what I would have done. If I were a defensive coordinator, that's what I would have done. Let Marshall Falk beat us, not Kurt Warner. What Bill Belichick did was counterintuitive, and it worked. He realized that as prolific as Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt were, that Marshall Falk was the engine of that offense. Go back to 1999, Marshall Falk, over 1,000 receiving yards, one of the few running backs to ever post a 1,000,000 season. And the next running back to do it wears a Carolina Panthers uniform. Kamara and McCaffrey are the only ones with a chance. 
to post a thousand thousand season. But McCaffrey is the only one with a legitimate shot to do it. This is the year for McCaffrey to fully fill Marshall Falk's shoes at the NFL level. And we will have that elite running back tandem at the top of the sport. The Marshall Falk in Christian McCaffrey and the Edron James in Saquon Barkley. And that's a beautiful thing. It's worth taking a moment away from scrolling through the list of available players on the waiver wire and acknowledging Christian McCaffrey's greatness. And the beauty is we have a way to do it. Our Dynasty rankings feature a lifetime value calculation. It's right there on the Dynasty Dominator app. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, type in Dynasty Dominator, and get the app. And there's a price check option in the app. And there you can see what we believe Christian McCaffrey's lifetime value for Dynasty League rosters is. And we heard complaints in this offseason. Well, Christian McCaffrey is too valuable. Saquon Barkley, too valuable. I'd rather take the package. Give me Mike Evans and Chris Carson and picks for Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. And that is bad process in Dynasty. You build around Saquon Barkley. You build around Christian McCaffrey. They are true difference makers. These are players that give your roster a competitive advantage. Mike Evans and Chris Carson don't give you a competitive advantage. Though we played lots of Chris Carson in week one. Playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup. The DFS lineup genius featured as much Chris Carson as Dalvin Cook because he was at home against the Bengals. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. But you remind fantasy gamers that Chris Carson was fantastic play in week one. And they come back with, but you told me to trade him early in the season in Dynasty. And I'm mad about that, man. I sold low on Chris Carson while he was coming back from knee surgery. And I blame you, Podfather. What are you blaming me for? I don't have Chris Carson in Dynasty. Chris Carson isn't a Dynasty back. That's not a running back you build around in Dynasty. But he's who you wanted in flex. Especially on FanDuel, a half PPR format in week one. Wanted Austin Eckler on DraftKings, and Chris Carson on FanDuel. Make sure you provide your address, and that's where they'll send the check. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, but you need to pay attention. Stop conflating Dynasty takes with seasonal takes with DFS takes. This is a show you have to pay attention to because I know my way around all these formats, and it's not my fault. Your ears are full of static, and your brain doesn't work. That's not my fault. Buzz holes that cannot distinguish a dynasty take from a seasonal take from a DFS take. Just because a player is a sell in dynasty doesn't mean you refuse to play him in DFS. Fuck is wrong with you people. And yes, if I had any Chris Carson, I would be open for business this week. Coming off a multi-touchdown performance against the Bengals at home. Yes, this is when you sell a between-the-tackles grinder with competition for touches in the backfield like Chris Carson. This is the time to level up in Dynasty. This is when you package a Chris Carson with a wide receiver and a draft pick or two or three and go get Christian McCaffrey. But the problem is, Christian McCaffrey is untouchable in a lot of Dynasty Leagues. What can you give other than Saquon Barkley 
that would convince a dynasty leaguer to even engage in trade talks for you to acquire Christian McCaffrey. He just posted 42.9 fantasy points. And in our initial projections, Christian McCaffrey was lapping the field at the running back position. Computer models suggesting Christian McCaffrey would score seven more fantasy points in week two than any other running back in the field. But Peter Howard, the mind behind our weekly projections and our world-famous draft kit cheat sheet, he knows better than that. He knows that all players must be tethered to a general mean, that you cannot peg players to best-case scenario just because they've performed at close to best-case scenario for consecutive weeks because the NFL is all about adjustments and Bill Belichick's are out there lurking in film rooms. Just when you think a player will never disappoint you, what do they do? They disappoint. And we shrug our shoulders and we say, oh, football. Christian McCaffrey posts 11 fantasy points and you say, oh, football. It happens. It's going to happen to Christian McCaffrey. It may not be this week. It may not be next week. It's going to happen. That's why you can't project Christian McCaffrey to score more than 30 points every week. You just can't do that responsibly. Because if you extrapolate that, McCaffrey would necessarily have the greatest running back season of all time. And as good as he is, the closest thing we've seen to Marshall Falk, that's unlikely. So of all our projections this week, it's the McCaffrey projection I'm most proud of. Because it's conservative. In an era where being conservative doesn't pay. Being conservative doesn't get you clicks. Being conservative doesn't inspire victory laps and attaboys on social media. But year after year after year, it's the conservative analysts that finish on top. The conservative analysts that you can trust. A place to go where you can check the flex rankings, set it, and forget it. And you know I trust Patrick Murphy. No one, and I repeat, no one, built a better case for Marlon Mack post-Andrew Luck retirement than Patrick Murphy. And I've been checking in on those of you working with Patrick Murphy to optimize your fantasy roster each and every week because you want to take down your work league. You want to take down your home league. You want to hoist that trophy. That's why you went to Fantasy Football King. But some of you didn't. And now you're 0-1. But guess what? It's not too late. Most people that work with Patrick Murphy approach him with losing records. Ask him to dig them out of a hole. That's his specialty. So if you're in that position, go there, fantasyfootballking.com, and he will give you a free consultation. He will tell you what he's going to do to turn your team around. And many of you on social media want more victory laps from the Podfather. You want maximum insufferable Podfather. I don't know what's wrong with you all, but that's what you want. Many of you are tracking my correct takes better than I am. Where's the Malcolm Brown victory lap? I had forgotten that no other service was higher on Malcolm Brown than we were. Malcolm Brown, 100 slots higher on our world-famous cheat sheet than his high-stakes ADP. Think about that. But I was very wrong last week. There are bad takes to balance out the good. Remember I told you to take the over, a monkey knife fight, Jimmy Garoppolo and Jameis Winston, both over 275.5 yards? How'd that work out? Both quarterbacks went under 200. (laughs) Because they're both terrible. Maybe not bet on bad quarterbacks to play well. Maybe that's not a good idea. How about that for a lesson learned from week one? But if you follow me on Twitter at Fantasy underscore Mansion, I made up for it. 
My favorite contest is the touchdown dance contest on Monkey Knife Fight. And there are some truly exploitable touchdown dance props on Monkey Knife Fight. Last week, it was Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb touchdowns. The line was 1.5. Total touchdowns. Total. Rushing and receiving. Total. Nick Chubb had a bad game, and it still cashed because Derrick Henry had two touchdowns. I started with $20. I'm now up over 100 on a monkey knife fight. And the beauty is if you deposit 50, you'll get a $50 deposit bonus in addition to a free $2 contest. So maybe you just deposit 10 and you start with a free contest and you work your way up from there. I started with 20. Monkeyknifefight.com. Use their promo code UNDERWORLD. Or on any player page, just click on that little monkey. Have I done my monkey impression yet? I don't think I have. Here it is. I say it got really bad at the end. I could do good impressions, but but I make sure I drive them into the ground. I'll, I'll do an impression well until it goes bad. I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's my impression modus operandi. And for the touchdown dance, you can also select three players. And I love this Tennessee-Indianapolis game where you can select Derrick Henry and Marlon Mack and Delaney Walker, either Walker or Hilton. Hilton with the long touchdowns, Delaney Walker with the red zone touchdowns. Either way, as long as those three players score more than 1.5 touchdowns, it pays plus 150. Plus 150 for Henry, Mack, and Walker. Or you can just stack Chiefs if you want. You just go Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams. The beauty is the Chiefs are playing the Raiders. And who dominates the red zone touches for the Raiders is Josh Jacobs. So you could play Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and Josh Jacobs. Think between Watkins, Kelsey, and Jacobs, they'll score more than 1.5 touchdowns. I mean, right? Right? You want consolidated touch distributions and predictable red zone usage. That's how you win these touchdown dance contests. And don't forget to lean into the games with the high game totals, of course. MonkeyKnifeFight.com, enter code UNDERWORLD, and start building your bankroll. And don't tell anyone I think this is more fun than DFS. Do not tell anyone I have more fun on Monkey Knife Fight than I do on FanDuel or DraftKings. No one's allowed to know that. I will lose all my street cred if anyone finds out. Now let's go talk to Lance Zerline because this is a guy that truly understands the interworkings of an NFL franchise. Now is a great time to talk to a guy who truly understands how the NFL operates and be sure to follow him at Lance Zerline on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, NFL Media's own Lance Zerline. He's an NFL draft expert, also hosts the morning show on ESPN 97.5, The Bench. And he's a fantasy football writer for NFL.com. He's here to talk Texans. He's here to talk NFL rookie breakouts. Lance Zerline, talk to me. Good to be here. I'm loving life, man. I'm loving life. I thought that nothing could compare to the NFL week one last year. Remember last year? It was like, oh, wow, the NFL's back. Like they announced themselves, hey, we're not going anywhere as a sport. We've had some problems with health and controversies, deflate gate, mm-hmm. on and on. Every year is always something or five things or 10 things. And then last year they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, our product's awesome. And then this year. 
they came back over the top. They said our product's amazing. <laughs> right? I mean, they had some star players jump out there. Ezekiel Elliott right off the bat for him to get loose. Uh, to see rookie wide receivers do what they did was pretty impressive. And then, yeah, I mean, you had – you know, second-year guys like Lamar Miller really, really put on a show. And then I think the other way you can look at it is that it was – it creates new conversations when Cleveland gets thumped at home and Baker Mayfield really has such an atrocious third quarter. Now, you know, it's – we kind of shift some of the narratives about what we thought of certain quarterbacks at certain times. So, yeah, I think it's it – was, it was a really compelling week. I'm excited for week two. And so let's talk about a few of these performances from week one to help us to decode what we think is going to happen in week two. Carlos Hyde, how is he doing this? Well, I mean, I've always thought this is kind of who Carlos Hyde is. I think that, you know, I don't think he's a zone scheme runner. I think he's primarily more of a gap scheme runner. You block it up in front of him. You give him defined uh, lanes, and then you let him hit those lanes, get downhill. He ran with great pad level yesterday. He was very physical. He had good burst. I thought Kyler, Carlos Hyde, you know, looked like the Carlos Hyde that we saw a little bit uh, for at least one season with San Francisco, the one that we expected in Cleveland. And this is just a really good opportunity for him because he is a downhill back. Bill O'Brien wants a downhill running back. That's not who Lamar uh, Miller was, really, and it's definitely not who Duke Johnson is. So, you know, is it the sign of things to come? I don't. He's not going to average 8.3 yards in attempt um, all year long, but I do think that this offense actually suits Carlos Hyde pretty well. And I think there's some, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, I do think there's value in Carlos Hyde. I mean, he's not going to be a big-time pass catcher, and I don't even know that he's going to, you know, chalk up a bunch of t- rushing touchdowns. But, you know, he's going to get the heavy share of the carries in a split between he and Duke Johnson. And if you needed to see the difference between the two of them and how they run, make no mistake about it, Hyde runs the ball the way that Bill O'Brien wants out of that running game. So um, I think Carlos is just – a guy who's hungry to prove people wrong. He's in a good situation. The Texans' offensive line is much maligned for their pass pro, but they're actually a decent run-blocking unit. And mm, mm. I thought he really did a great job of being north-south and, and running with pretty good burst. It's hard to imagine finding a better environment to run the ball than the Kansas City Chiefs, but I think he may have found it in Houston because he gets away from that other 220-pound back in Damian Williams. Now he has that grinder role all to himself on one of the league's highest-scoring offenses. It's hard to get in a better situation than that. Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson complement each other well. I'm just trying to get my head around the fact that Kansas City decided to keep Daryl Williams. Mm-hmm. Not Damian Williams. Daryl Williams over Carlos Hyde. The Carlos Hyde I saw last night. That is befuddling to me. <laughs> well, you know, even with Shady coming aboard, I don't know that there was going to be a role for him. And then you also have to look at relative to salary. Uh, Daryl Williams is going to be cheaper than Carlos Hyde. And so once you start dealing with your third running backs, it really, it really, there's questions about special teams. I don't know if Daryl Williams is on cover teams. But once you get down to third, if you become a third running back, you really have to either be a specialist with your ability as a short yardage specialist your ability as a, a third down back or your ability to have an impact in in um, special teams. And I don't know that Carlos Hyde really, you know, especially as a veteran who's going to make a little bit more money than a Daryl Williams, really 
stood out. So I think that's probably mm-hmm. why they moved him. And then, well, they were going to cut him, obviously. They cut him, and then the Texans cut Martinez Rankins, and then they just flip-flopped so both teams could get the guy they wanted instead of going through a waiver process. But um, I think, it, once again, I think it's it helps both teams, yeah. Oh, right. At the running back position, when you're talking about running back depth, that extra $500,000 that the veteran commands really matters because they're shaving it right down to the bone. Oh, yeah. It, it all matters. I mean, we, we get caught up in the millions and millions and millions, but when you're trying to maintain roster space and you know, you've got to play the game now versus the future game of, of cap management, of potentially extending a player, you know, one of your own players um, inside a season, whatever you're looking to do, that's not going to, you know, every, every $100,000 is looked at carefully. They also did Carlos Hyde a solid. The players and the teams are partners in this, and so it makes me feel good when I see a team do right by a player and cut them so they can find an opportunity elsewhere. You saw that with Dontrell Inman. He approached the Patriots and said, please cut me. I can find a job elsewhere. I don't think I'm going to make this roster, and they obliged, and he did. Kansas City was doing what they felt was best for them, which was adding an interior offensive lineman in Martinez Rankins, who they felt like had some value if he continued to to be developed teams are never gonna just you know do right by a play they're gonna do right by themselves that's what they get paid to first and foremost and i think now in, an, in in a sense situation like that if a team believes that their stock don't you know and they're gonna cut you anyway yeah they might cut you early they might if you're a veteran and if you've been someone who has been a good teammate things like that i can tell you this teams around the league are not going to do any favors to players who are are jerks who are bad in the locker room who are bad teammates they don't owe them anything other than the contract that's that's you know that's supposed to be lived up to by both sides like the Raiders didn't owe anything to Antonio Brown they gave him what they owed him and so you know I'm a little sometimes I get a little hesitant to say what the, the, the team this and this and this because their job is to try to win football games for people who pay their salaries which in essence are our ticket buyers to an extent obviously the the TV deal has a lot to do with that, but uh, Kansas City didn't do that as a, as a solid to uh, Carlos Hyde. I don't think. I think they did it because they wanted to go cheaper at running back, and they wanted an opportunity to get an interior lineman that they thought really had room for development, which, which I, I absolutely agree with. I thought it was good for Kansas City because here was Hyde. He couldn't get many carries in Cleveland. He wasn't the factor we thought he was going to be in San Francisco. Sometimes it's just scheme fit, and they do a lot of outside zone stuff with Kansas city too. So I think he's in a better run scheme fit for him. And then, you know, we also have to be careful because it is one game. So let's see how it plays out. Does Carlos Hyde, can he stay healthy? Can he maintain quickness? Cause that's essential when you're a big back, you've got to have a functional level of quickness to be able to hit the, you know, to burst like he did to, to take it, you know, to make it an 8.3 yards per carry instead of a 4.3 yards per carry. The difference between 8.3 and 4.3 a lot of times is how much burst you have left in the tank, and a lot of times that will change as the season progresses. Think about what just happened there. The pod father, Mr. Straight Talk, carrying water for the NFL, and (laughs) the NFL.com analyst giving you the real talk about what the priorities really are and what's driving the decision-making in NFL front offices. This is why we have Lance Zerline on the program. You've talked to Deshaun Watson at one point. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think he wants to be the number one quarterback in fantasy football? Do you think that crosses his mind? Uh, it's in play, man. He's amazing. I, you know, I would say I don't think so, but but players are all aware. They're all aware of fantasy football. I think some of them obviously follow it more. I think Deshaun's prior. I think it's way down on his list of priorities. But if he's the best fantasy football quarterback, then that means. He is the most prolific, and it means that his offense is putting up points, and it means that he is helping his team win games. So, I, except for times like yesterday and the Eagles last year, and the Seahawks and and uh, Patriots two years before, where he was incredible and they still lost. So, um, I guess it doesn't automatically mean wins. But yeah, I think if you told him you're the number one fantasy football quarterback, does that matter to you? I think you would say yes, as it pertains to the statistics equating into yard and touchdowns and wins so yeah from that standpoint i think all of them would like to even though they many players really don't like fantasy football because they get tired of having people come up to them in restaurants and things like that like right right what's going on with you i've got you on my team like oh i can't tell you how many players i've talked about enough hating hearing that i totally understand why it's the worst but deshaun watson is the best and you saw it on that throw to Kenny Stills. Man, that was good. It's the mobility in the pocket to know to step to your right immediately upon receiving the ball, to get that extra fraction of a second to get the ball out as you're getting hit, and then to deliver it on time and perfectly placed for a touchdown in that situation. My God, man, who else could have done that in the NFL? Well, you don't think Mahomes could? I don't know. The instinct to instantly slide the way Deshaun Watson did, I don't know. He is a savant in the pocket and outside the pocket. That's why I love him so much. I got to say, I, I gotta, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this one. I think one of the big issues that he has had over the last two years is that the subtle pocket mobility is not one of his strengths. He has more of a tendency to look to evade the pocket when it's when it heats up specifically with blitzes now i'm talking blitzes specifically the play you're referencing though was absolutely a great um example of pocket mobility and the hope is that he will consistently get better at maintaining poise in the face of the pressure because if he doesn't he's going to get hit a lot more however it's the ben roethlisberger effect where you're going to take more hits because you're extending but you're also going to make more plays so it's kind of a double-edged sword where I mean, he got he got sacked six times yesterday, right? He got hit, I think, 11. Um, but he made explosive plays, and he showed an ability to, to, as you mentioned, slide right, take the heat right in his face, and deliver a, you know, <sighs> deliver to an open post route to, to Kenny Stills. Man, that was really impressive. It was a, it was a two-play drive. That was incredible. I couldn't believe that drive. I couldn't believe it. It was reminiscent of the Aaron Rodgers to Jeff Janis times two mm -hmm. four years ago in the playoffs against Arizona. Deshaun Watson's 24 years old. Right. He's 24 years old. So I give him credit for developing physically and mentally and becoming a more patient thrower. Mm-hmm as he's become more comfortable and the game slows down. I think that all makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's and that, and that's normal for for young quarterbacks to show that growth if they're good because uh, the ones who aren't that great are not going to grow. The question now is does he grow 
from being an explosive playmaker. That's what we're waiting to see. Um, even if he doesn't, it really is irrelevant. But if you can get to becoming, you know, the chess master, then all of a sudden you're starting to be mentioned with all-time greats. I mean, you're the Breeze conversation. I think Philip Rivers is is not mentioned enough in that in that category. A guy who's got a weak arm and yet year after year after year just continues to deliver at a high rate. But um, yeah, I think Deshaun's got a chance to be that. Yeah, Philip Rivers underhands it out there. He kind of scoops it out there now. Yeah, he just barely gets it out there, but he wins with his mind. When Deshaun starts winning with his mind, his feet, and his arm, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who is going to be the most electric quarterback in the league, bar none. And some people would argue that maybe he's there right now. We might be here. Yeah. We, we might be here today. That's the beautiful thing about it. Yeah, we're going to find out because that's a great start for him yesterday. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins looks like he could break records. We're talking about a top five fantasy season is in play for DeAndre Hopkins, right? Oh, easily, yeah. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's the number one wide receiver. He's going to crush. Yeah, you're. he's a guy that you think is going to – if if Deshaun Watson is going to have a big season, then DeAndre Hopkins is going to have yeah. a monster season. That's how that works. Monster. And some were drafting Devontae Adams over DeAndre Hopkins. Shame on you. Shame on you. The difference between DeAndre Hopkins and the second best wide receiver in fantasy this season will be a wide gap. How in a PPR league do you not make DeAndre Hopkins your the top wide receiver off the board? That doesn't make any sense. He's a touchdown catcher. It was easy. It was so easy monster target it's an it's it's a no-brainer i mean i was at the back end i had the seventh pick in a draft in one of my drafts and as soon as it got to me i didn't hesitate for one single second as soon as he was still on the board not a second maybe i was sixth as soon as he was still on the board it was that was an easy call there wasn't a thought about Devonte adams there wasn't a thought about anyone i happen to have the five and a bunch of drafts and i went hopkins in every single one what am i missing in PPR, I don't know. You're not missing anything. I mean, he's durable. He's going to get targeted a ton. He catches touchdowns, and <laughs> he's going to get a ton of PPR points for you throughout the year. Obviously, the yards are going to be there as well. And Will Fuller's back, which just opens things up for him even more. And Deshaun Watson struggled at times last season. The catchable target rate was low, below average for DeAndre Hopkins, but how does he win? He catches balls that are not catchable, and he wins in contested situations. Now those passes are more accurate because Deshaun Watson is another year removed from the ACL surgery. He's a year older and more seasoned. It all is just clicking into place in that age 27 season for DeAndre Hopkins. We could be looking at one of the greatest fantasy seasons of all time for a wide receiver. I think it's possible, yeah. It's not even hyperbole. It's not even hyperbole. No, I think I think right now the bar is set at about um, 14, 14 to 15 touchdowns. I would say you're going oh. to be in the neighborhood of, of 1,500 yards, 14, eh, 14 to 15. And, yeah, I think we're looking at another 100 and anywhere from 112 to 127 catch season. So, yeah, it's going to be a monster season. Monster season for Dak Prescott? I think it's going to be a good one. I don't think monster. You look good necessarily because you were facing giants, but I'm telling you now, Kellen Moore's offense. There's something about Kellen Moore, the former quarterback, who he has a great feel, just like when he was a player, for understanding where to go with the football. And he had a really, you know, he had a pop gun arm, and it didn't matter because he knew where he wanted to go with the football. And 
I've got to believe that as a former quarterback and a contemporary to, you know, for, um, for Dak Prescott, it's really going to allow him to get inside Dak's head and help him see football like Kellen Moore sees football. And if that happens, and if he gets in a rhythm from a play calling standpoint, like he did the other day, I think Zach is going to become, or Dak is going to become very, very comfortable with not just read one, but read two and maybe even read three more and more. And as he picks up steam in terms of getting through reads faster, it's just going to make him that much better. Knowing where to go with the football before the ball is even snapped based on the looks you're seeing is critical. And then play designs that, that force the defense to show themselves and not only show themselves, but also make decisions where they stress defenders with route combinations. It's just going to make – Dax reads even easier, and that's why I think with Kellen Moore, he is headed for a good season. I I was really impressed with what I saw in week one. So more creative route combinations, check. More play action, check. More motion to show the quarterback what they're going to do, Mm -hmm. check. So it's check, check, check across the board Right for Kellen Moore. He aced week one. Yeah. I would say so. Double the amount of play action, double the amount of motion. Now what you're telling me is he's leveraging those rub routes and getting wide receivers to help each other get open in a way that they're not having to win in a vacuum as much. That's what offensive coordinators are supposed to do. Put your players in a position to succeed. It's putting the opponents in a position to make snap decisions. So what you want to do as well, yeah, yeah. You have to force safeties to make their decision. Oh, here's a little, you know, bait route in front of me. Do I do I jump on top of this instinctively, expecting them to throw underneath? And is that going to draw me there with his eyes? When really there's a, you know, there's there's a post route coming over the top of me. So I think it's, I mean, it's not it's not rocket science. But what it is is you you design routes to stress safeties into having to make fast decisions and rely on their instincts. And if a quarterback plays along with it and learns to manipulate safeties with his eyes in conjunction with a really well-crafted route combination that puts cornerback, you know, zone corners or safeties in position to bite on bait routes, then yeah, you're going to start having a lot of success and it's going to become easy for the quarterback to read one player and to manipulate one player. And I think that's what you're going to see with Dak. So let me get this straight. Kellen Moore is putting the bait out there and then for Dak Prescott, it's like throwing fish in a barrel. It might be. It might be that simple, yeah. Oh! You see what I did there? <laughs> yes. See what you did. The bait and then the fisherman, right? I saw the bait and the fisherman. It would have been better if you had a Miami Dolphins reference too. But Now, Tom Brady looked good in week one. Yeah. Same old, same old. Get ready for another big season. I mean, right? And how about Tom Brady was just drafted? I have an auction league where I got Tom Brady for $2. It wasn't even like mm. no one even wanted to consider Tom Brady. It was I was kind of sad in a way seeing where he was on all these publications. That Tom Brady was so far down the list. It just didn't feel right. And um, now all of a sudden you look at what's probably going to happen, which is I don't know where they're going to use Antonio Brown probably wide but if they want they could use him in a slot with Julian Edelman and you got two guys running one guy could run intermediate routes 
Coleman runs underneath. I just don't see how teams are going to be able to guard them one-on-one. And then, of course, the ability to, to, to stress safeties deep with Josh Gordon. It, it, it's going to be the first time that I can remember in years that Tom Brady's going to have a receiving core where he can really just pick and choose who he wants to pick on from a defensive standpoint. And whoever that is is going to determine who's going to be the big fantasy winner that week. Now, pick your poison situation. It's going to pick your poison, but the, yeah. the, the, the thing to keep in mind here is, is Antonio Brown has never been in a situation where you know he could end up being a, being a Patriot and being a fantasy owner of a Patriot means you could end up getting 31 points or three points on any given Sunday. We, we know that's the way it is with running backs. We know it can be that way with wide receivers other than Julian Edelman and Gronk, those two guys. And Antonio Brown could end up, depending on coverages, Tom Brady doesn't have to rely on any one player uh, necessarily. And so I think that it will be interesting to see how Antonio Brown handles it if Tom Brady just thinks other matchups um, are better for him. Now, he might want to get Antonio Brown off on the good foot mentally, so he may really target him early on uh, in game one. But, you know, and that, and that may be a smart thing to do, say, hey, let's, you know, we, we know he's volatile. Let's, let's get him in. Let's get him fully invested in a Patriot way. The best way to do that is to make him a part of the team quickly. And then we'll deal with, you know, him getting five targets and three catches down the road if that ends up being an issue. So on paper, though, it looks like Tom Brady is going to be really, really hard to stop since you have one guy who can win deep balls with his size and speed and two guys who can work underneath an element and the intermediate stuff with Antonio Brown and give a, a ridiculously accurate quarterback pretty good throwing windows to throw into it wasn't long ago that they had danny amendola in the edelman role edelman in the antonio brown role mm-hmm. and chris hogan in the josh gordon role yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean talk about an upgrade i mean what are we talking about the most effective patriots formation over the last few years has been gronk split out wide at x and then running Edelman and Hogan or Edelman and Amendola off each other on the right-hand side. You do that with Brown and Edelman and have Josh Gordon out at X, it's going to put so much pressure on the defense, even more than when they had Gronk out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because you're going to have to have safety over the top of Josh Gordon. There's no way around it. What Tom Brady showed me in game one is – I. I really don't remember him pushing the ball vertically like this as much as he did. He was very willing to take his shots down the field, and that hasn't really been his M.O. to, to do that to a number of receivers. And We saw him doing it to, uh, Dor- uh, to uh, Dorsett. We saw him doing it to Josh Gordon. And I think that now, you know, I'm interested to see how they use Dorsett still. Well, what they could do is run him and Josh Gordon. I know he usually likes to play from the slot, but, you know, it wouldn't shock me if every once in a while they threw Dorsett and 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 Gordon out wide, I mean, hugging the sideline and said, all right, we're going to literally stress you uh, um, horizontally as wide as we possibly can and then force you to, con- you know, force you into a greater amount of space to cover against Brown and Edelman. I mean, that would be I – mean, Tom could throw the ball 50 times huh. and, and average 320 yards a game if he wanted to. It really wouldn't be hard this year. I don't think they'll do that. That's not really winning football. But on any given Sunday, you could see Tom come out and just blast the team with a crap ton of pass attempts if if the secondary is weak. Because Bill O'Brien, I mean Bill O'Brien, Bill Belichick will attack 
I mean, he's going to attack weaknesses on the defense. He's not going to let you get a free pass with a bad defender. That's for sure. Thinking about Tom Brady throwing deep to start a football game reminds me of the worst call I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. That safety they called against Tom Brady on a deep pass. He threw a deep post and they called intentional grounding on a deep post for a safety? Do you remember that worst call? <laughs> you have to remind me which Super Bowl it is. There's only been about 20 of them for New England. At the beginning of the last Giants Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. The beginning of the last Super Bowl between the Giants and the Patriots. Yeah. First drive, Tom Brady is back yep. in his own end zone, and he throws a deep post just over the head of the wide receiver, and they called intentional grounding and a safety. Yeah. That happened. That was a real thing. I still, to this day, can't believe that call. You've never seen it. You never will see it again. It was nope. the worst call. It affected you. I can tell. I still can't believe it. Whenever <laughs> I think about Tom Brady kicking off a game with a deep pass, I get PTSD from that play call i just can't believe it still to this day i can't believe it <laughs> josh allen yeah is he what we thought lamar jackson would be he's gonna save fantasy gamers with his legs despite being an erratic thrower no because lamar no lamar uh jackson is the most i i, I told people this uh, i certainly didn't think he was a running back in the next level but what i did say in his draft write-up was lamar jackson has the vision and slashing ability of an elite running back. And when I say vision, when he's in the open field, this is just a quarterback who can run and hurt you with his legs. This is a guy who can annihilate you with his running skills. And I don't just mean he's fast. I mean, he looks beyond his first target that he's going to elude, and he's already looking to, to, mm. to set up the second target. So, And he has quick cut ability. He has bursts. Like, he to elite running back talent in a quarterback's body. So I can't compare Josh Allen to him because I don't see Josh Allen, you know, running for over 100 yards three different times in a year. And I could see that happening with, with Lamar Miller, uh, with Lamar. I keep doing that. I'm here in Houston. Of course, I say Lamar Miller, Lamar Jackson. But um, Bucky Brooks made a comparison of Josh Allen with Cam Newton from a physicality standpoint from arm talent standpoint, and then, of course, from the ability to hurt you with his legs, I think it's not a bad comparison. He's not hes not going to be the player, I don't think, that Cam Newton has been. But I think you really have to factor in his ability to run. I mean, it doesn't feel – physically doesn't feel the same as, as – Ten carries, Lance. I know. Ten carries in week one, Lance, against the Jets. It's not like they have this – suffocating secondary no but i would he's gonna run a lot man i think the jets defensively are going to be better but josh allen this is the reason why he may carry at least a little bit of fantasy value this year i still don't know if he's going to do enough through the air to warrant you know the pickup but boy those those running yards over the last i don't know six to seven <laughs> years it's just such a major factor in fantasy football the the hidden yards with the running game you just have to factor it now We've seen it so time and time again. And with Josh Allen, he's going to do the same thing. I, 
Josh Allen's running touchdowns are probably going to be close to six or seven for the year, maybe even higher if they decide to use them in short yardage situations, which is like we saw with Cam. We used to see some of that with Cam. Now, how many yards do you think he goes for? What would the over-under on that, on that be, 500? He's going to get 40 yards a game times 16, right? That's way over. That's like 600 rushing yards. That's, that's 600, yeah. I'm not assuming he's getting 40, but if, so, if you said 30, that's 480 rushing yards. Between 450 and 600 rushing yards yep. is what Josh Allen's going to give us this year. Yes. <laughs> that's what he's going to give us, man. Gonna be between, I think it's going to be between five and eight rushing touchdowns. So you start adding those numbers up. And the touchdowns. Don't forget about those touchdowns. Yeah. That's why his floor is so high. It's difficult to get your head around such an erratic quarterback having a high floor, but that's what the rushing production delivers in fantasy football. Yep. Like he has a higher floor than Marcus Mariota every week, even though Mariota has a better supporting cast and he's more accurate, but Mariota's not running as much as Josh Allen anymore, right? No, and if you're going to get a running quarterback, if you're going to get a quarterback who helps you with the run, you want to do it in the first three years um, because all those guys still- – to re- they start to break down a little bit, and they also start to realize, if I'm going to keep playing football for a long time, I can't do it. But boy, for the first three years, <laughs> guys who run the football really put on a show early in their career. Some can go beyond, but most of them get a little smarter with how they want to you know, handle their bodies versus you know, running the ball versus passing the ball. And most, co- most coaches want to coach it out of them. But I don't know. I mean, Marcus Mariota, the, if he ran more, I think, he's, I think the Titans would be better off. He's one of those rare guys that you want him leaving the pocket a little bit more. Let's go back to the 2015 draft. First pick overall, Jameis Winston. Second pick overall, Marcus Mariota. Who won? The Buccaneers or the Titans? Mm, Titans. The Titans, right? Marcus Mariota is better than Jameis Winston. Winston's not going to finish the season. Yeah, Titans have had ups and downs, but you know what? You know what you got. There's a consistency with Marcus Mariota. And with Jameis, it's just been wildly inconsistent. He had some flashes, but his his lows have been really low. And obviously, from a recency standpoint, you know, Tennessee, the breaks off the Browns and Jameis was an atrocity. But I, I still think over the long haul, Jameis has had some issues off the field as well. Jameis has not been consistent as a passer. Last year was, you know, last year was a very disappointing um, season for Jameis. You bring in a, a head coach who has had health problems because he's known as a quarterback whisperer. I mean, I, I think that felt like a last gasp, last you know ditch effort to rescue Jameis Winston's career, and it may still happen. That may have just been one game. However, you know this is kind of how who Jameis has always been since college. He's going to turn the ball over a lot. We know that Marcus Mariota is not going to turn it over a ton because he doesn't take chances. Jameis takes chances. And he'll succeed at times, but I think the negatives have begun to really outweigh the positives for him. And then when you see Marcus Mariota, I mean, he's still, I think he still has a chance to very much become uh, the Alex Smith game manager, but that's, that's who he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be, I mean, you don't draft, well, I say you don't draft those guys early, but Alex Smith was the number one pick. Number one pick? I would rather have a guy like Alex Smith. I'd rather have a guy like Alex, I'm not, well, like Alex Smith in Marcus Mariota. Where I know every Sunday, eh, he's not going to – you can't put everything on his shoulders like Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes. But what we can do is 
put some targets around him, run the ball effectively, play defense, and he can make enough plays to help us win games. So I'll take that over the coin flip that is Jameis Winston. Now, looking at Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, 10 pass attempts last weekend. Mike Zimmer, Kevin Stefanski, they want to run the ball. Are they the ones to blame, or was that just random game script? I think it's kind of random game script, but I also believe that there is an understanding now that the more you ask of Kirk Cousins, the more the law of diminishing returns is going to set in. The less you ask of him, the the more he's going to provide you from an efficiency standpoint. You ask Kirk Cousins to throw it 31 times, well, he's going to he'll post numbers. We've seen that, but it doesn't necessarily have an impact on winning. We've also seen that with not just Washington, but clearly with the Minnesota Vikings as well. When you look at the desire to bring Gary Kubiak in to help with the running game in the offseason, that told you all you needed to know that Zim wanted to get back to being a physical team who could impose their will. And I know it's a game, but Dalvin Cook looks like he is really feeling this zone scheme for Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> and he was he was a guy in my auction. I've had an auction league. This is our 23rd year. Like, we were in on auctions from the time I was a young buck, and we loved the auction format. Loved it. Well, this year, I made a couple of guys really priorities, and one of them was Dalvin Cook because I truly believed that from watching Gary Kubiak running games here in Houston, I knew what was headed for this talented running back. And I think once they get it blocked up effectively and they have the right guys in peace or in place, which is – not as hard as you think for a zone scheme team. Your running backs can really take off, and Dalvin is a special player. So um, I was not super surprised. And if he's going to run like that, and you're going to have that level of success, why not? Why not ask Kirk Cousins to throw the ball less? I mean, they dominated Atlanta um, from a fantasy fantasy perspective. You're not very happy with it, but if you had Kirk Cousins as your number one quarterback, I'm not really sure that you were going to win your league anyway. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And we told you this was going to happen. Zemanski. It's the Zemanski problem in Minnesota. And you can't have Diggs and Thielen both going in the third round of fantasy drafts if Kirk Cousins isn't going to go out and throw the ball over 600 times. And Thielen's going to get his. So you think that Diggs is going to suffer more this season from the low volume than Thielen? Yes. If there is a lower volume. Well, there's going to be lower volume. Now, is it going to be 10 pass attempts? No. And let's remember, they didn't have to throw the ball. And Zim, you don't think Zim liked to just say, let's just batter him. And then he threw some other cuss words in there. And that's what they did. Of course. You know, but, um, I mean, I mean, Cousins, I think most games is going to be in the 20s from a pass attempt standpoint. It's not going to be this easy for them oh. every week. But I do think that if there's one guy who's going to fall off from a target standpoint uh, between those two receivers, I mean – History tells you it's going to be Diggs, and it's not going to be uh, Thielen. Thielen's going to get his looks because there's a rapport between those two guys, and and it's it's worked. I mean, Thielen is, continues to be the most underrated fantasy wide receiver. I, I still, to this day, I can't believe that that he's not drafted earlier than he is, and and he's not you know more sought after in auctions than he than he is. I don't know how many straight years he's going to have to do it. It's never going to happen. Some players finish their careers, and they never get the recognition they deserve while they were a player. It's weird, and I think that's what we're going to see with Adam Thielen. What about in Miami? This team is so clearly in it for their number one pick next year. Right. And you already have players 
asking their agents to see if they can find a way to get traded after week one, mm-hmm. week one, Lance. What are the real-life consequences of a team like the Dolphins tanking so egregiously out in the open to start the season? Well, you create a culture of losing. First and foremost, it is really dangerous to have a culture of losing because it can be hard to break free from. You can ask the Cleveland Browns. um, The Bills have had some issues. The Raiders, obviously. It's hard to break that culture. I mean, you really have to make a point of – of trying, I mean, the Raiders by drafting Cleland Farrell and Jonathan Abram, uh, by getting rid of Antonio Brown. I mean, they really do want to create a culture of winning, but it takes effort. And right now, Miami is creating a culture of losing. They are saying we are going to make it almost impossible to win games. They are going to. They had to give a five-year guaranteed contract to Brian Flores because they know that he is going to be the new Hugh Jackson in terms of losing and losing badly and not just one year but it will probably move into year two as well um we've seen this successful in basketball we've seen it successful in baseball can it be successful in football well the difference is that's a that's a fan base that can be a little flighty anyway in terms of getting out and filling up the stadiums i think it's going to be this is a violent sport too yeah where if you give away pieces on the offensive line, for example, oh, yeah. for future assets, yeah, then you're putting your skill position players at risk, and it creates this demoralized environment in the locker room, which is heightened in a violent sport. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole culture of losing when you when you know that you're going to lose before you even come out and play the first game. Now, maybe it maybe Baltimore made it look worse than it's going to be all year, but I don't think so. And I also think that they're not going to have any favors done by the Patriots either. I see the Patriots another, you know, 38 to 42 points, and Miami's going to have a hard time putting up more than 10. The schedule to start the season, just doing the Dolphins absolutely no favors. But if they can get through this, and Chris Greer can survive because there's a cautionary tale not just of Sashi Brown but also Sam Hinkie. Yep. Right, Sam Hinkie didn't survive the tank either. So that is the cautionary tale for everyone in that Miami front office. You want to accumulate assets at this point in the franchise's rebuilding process, but you can't tank so clearly out in the open. There are consequences down the road, especially in a win-now league like the NFL. Well, here's the other thing. So now the pressure is so squarely on Chris Greer and his staff to evaluate extremely well and to pick guys that are going to hit. I mean, he has to have at least singles. But really, there's got to be doubles and maybe even a couple of home runs because he's got two first coming from the Texans. He's got a second coming from the Texans. I mean, he's given away players left and right to, to accumulate picks. They have a ton of picks over the next two years. But having picks, you're going to have a losing culture in your locker room, assuming that this goes sideways, which everyone does. You're going to have a losing culture. you got a bunch of guys on your roster that you don't plan. You probably won't have in two years if you do your job as an evaluator. If you draft and miss on players, then I, that is going to set that whole organization. The real danger here is that not just Chris Greer, but next Sashi or the next Hinky. But you're going to really set your organization back for a long, long time because I'm assuming you're drafting a quarterback 
And if you miss with that quarterback and you don't get that quarterback protected with offensive line, which now has become a, you know, a big concern, then you hasten his chances of becoming a bust. And if you bust a quarterback, we know that sets you back. But the big concern for me is if you miss on multiple picks and you've given players away for multiple picks that did not bear fruit, you are going to be in a hole for a long time. And it's going to be hard to find a general manager who's going to want to take that job. I didn't love the Tunsil trade for that reason. If you're going to go out and draft your franchise quarterback next year, you want a franchise left tackle to protect his blind side, and those Texans picks will likely be late, Mm -hmm. mid-round at best. I didn't love that particular deal, but I appreciate the aggressiveness and trying something new. The Browns did this to a degree. This is the next level of building an asset war chest and i'm interested to see how it plays out yeah i'm with you in that sense that you want to have that you know a a really talented left tackle but the texans had a really talented left tackle yesterday and gave up six sacks i mean the offensive line that's a unit pass protection starts with quarterback all five linemen a tight end um, a running back understanding his blitz pickup responsibilities i mean it's it's much bigger than just one player you just debunked the book the blind side (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, see I, I do think that you can yeah because it's it is it is a myth i mean you've got to be able to you've got to have a unit that works in conjunction you are truly only as strong as your weakest link from a pass pro standpoint um i think one of the the big areas of concern though is that it's okay not to have the number one all pro left tackle you don't have to have that to win go look at the list of super bowl winners in Super Bowl participants and see how many of them are like all-time greats. You're not going to have a ton of all-time greats necessarily. Well, the Patriots had a one-year rental last year. They had a one-year rental. They had Nate Solder, who was who was solid for most of his career. You know, I mean, the Patriots have won so many that you have to give them credit. You look at what you know what the New York Giants had. You look at what the I mean, Andrew Whitworth is a really good tackle, but they got to the Super Bowl with an older player. It's just. They got a good football player. You just have to go get good football players, and you can also scheme and help. However, you did make a very good point. And that point is the Billards are not going to fall all the way into the 20s. So if you have a good tackle, or Ryan Ramchick, who fell, you know, I'm saying typically they don't, but there they are, Cam Robinson, first pick of the second round. You know, they have slid a little bit. But if you get a guy that's a no-brainer tackle – well, Ramchick only slid because he didn't have any workout metrics. He was coming off an injury in his final season at Wisconsin. Coming off an injury, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing with Jonah Williams went ninth, right? Well, most good tackles who have physical traits that are better than Jonah's are going to go inside the top eight picks and a lot of times inside the top five. And so you're right. With the Houston Texans draft pick, um, it's going to be in the, the best-case scenario, probably the middle of the first. But Miami's pick – you know, is going to, if let's say it's a quarterback this next year, well, they're definitely, they definitely have enough draft capital um, to move up and go get a lockdown left tackle. And depending on how deep it is a tackle, and even though I'm a draft guy, I don't really, I don't really have the draft class fleshed out that well to know if it's going to be a great tackle draft. I had a, a scout buddy of mine, he thought it was going to be a really solid tackle draft, which would lend itself to Miami being able to find help a tackle earlier so um we'll see but if they miss on their evaluations it's going to be irrelevant do you believe the texans when they say they intended to draft titus howard all along they didn't plan to draft andre dillard at all 
No, I know for a fact that they had Howard ahead of. They liked Howard's mental makeup more than Dillard's. I, I believe it. Interesting. I don't agree at the write-up. I wasn't also in a room with Dillard talking to Dillard and talking to Howard, so I don't have access to those kind of conversations. And you know, teams get to find out who guys were. I mean, Andre Dillard was really talented and fell into the the twenties for a reason. There were some other teams that had concerns about him when when Jonah Williams goes ahead of him, even though he doesn't have the same physical you know physical tools necessarily. Um, and I like Jonah. I had Jonah number one. I had Dillard really close, uh, like at number two. And I think Jawan Howard's or Jawan um, Taylor was right there behind him at number three. But for, for for Dillard to slip where he did, there there were obviously questions for some teams especially because he plays such a a position of high priority need. But um, I thought the Texans, I mean, for me, it was a clear cut distinction between Dillard's talent and Howard's. Howard's is more developmental uh, with, with very good upside. Dillard was kind of a no brainer. If he's mentally, if he has the the mental toughness to handle the NFL football life and can improve as a run block, there was no question he was going to be an early starting tackle if he was with a team that didn't have Jason Peters. So I thought the Texans just missed in the evaluation, but clearly they had some some mental makeup stuff that they really liked on Howard that they maybe didn't love with with Dillard. But I do know I do know for a fact through conversations before the draft that that Howard was going to be the guy regardless. Howard could be the next Jason Peters. He's a monster, man. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I I really loved his tape in game one of 2018 against Auburn. That's when he hit my radar. I was like, holy crud, look at this guy. I mean, he's he's, uh, (laughs) – But here's the problem, though. Senior Bowl, he struggled. Um, He played a little too high with his pads. In the the preseason, he struggled. He played too high with his pads. They had him at guard and not at tackle. I think he's got a lot of work still to do, to be honest with you. His his upside is high, but unfortunately – I think there's a floor there that could be a concern. I think he's definitely a better tackle than um, guard, but right now the Texans are going to play him at guard, so we'll see what happens. With Tunsil there, my guess is get him at guard, get him reps at guard, and then eventually he'll be the starting right tackle opposite of Laramie Tunsil, maybe as early as next season. But I do, I do agree. I think his his upside is high. I just also think he was a little he's more developmental than Dillard. Now, week two, the Texans face the Jaguars – and Gardner Minshew should be a get-right week for the Texans. Even if it's a shootout, shouldn't the Jaguars feed Leonard Fournette? 100%. 100%. And why Leonard Fournette still isn't eating, I have no idea. I mean, you got too far down last game, but Leonard Fournette must be the centerpiece of the offense. Even though Minshew came in and did a nice job, he's a very smart quarterback, a very accurate quarterback, but that has got to be a Leonard Fournette run offense that you play the passing game off of it. If you don't get him established, you're, you're going to keep on losing. Is this the new normal for Jamison Crowder? Is this who he is? Because it's cool. We thought this is what he could be in Washington, a volume slot receiver, and he looks the part in New York. Yeah, I, I think, well, you know, when you look at that position – is a safety blanket position for young quarterbacks, then yeah, I think you have to consider 
how important that role could be. I think, I mean, that number of catches is kind of crazy, but from a volume standpoint, it is. If, if you can keep going to the question is going to be, can you get down the field enough? Can you hit enough explosive plays to score more points than you scored? That's going to be the real question because if you can't, at some point they're going to say, Hey, stop, let's just stop taking the easy throw and we've got to start challenging defenses more. But with that said, I still think that six to seven catches a game is going to be the norm. And if you parse that out or if you multiply that out, I mean, you're looking at a 100-catch season for him. So I don't think it's that crazy. 17 targets in week one. You talk about Terry McLaurin. You talk about Marquise Brown. You talk about all these breakout wide receivers in week one. DJ Chark, John Ross. The list goes on and on and on. The guy rising up our season ranks the furthest from week one to week two is Jamison Crowder. And it was also great to see DJ Moore operating as the number one in Carolina. Yeah. Isn't it funny how training camp does not equal the regular season? No, a lot of times it's not going to. Everything is hidden in training camp, sometimes intentionally. So, yeah, you always have to read articles. I mean, it's really important to read. If you're really into it, you got to read articles from the different hometown papers. A lot of times the beat writers will have a, a, a pretty decent feel on what's really going on. I always find that to be very important. So many GIFs, videos with Curtis Samuel catching another deep pass in practice. A lot of times not from Cam Newton, but a lot of splash plays in practice from Curtis Samuel. And then the game starts, and guess what? It's the DJ Moore show, baby, <laughs> when it's not the Christian McCaffrey show. I love the Christian McCaffrey show. Yeah, that show does well. <laughs> How excited are you to see McCole Hardman starting next week against Oakland? I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if Pat Mahomes has the same confidence or anywhere near the same confidence in throwing to Hardman that had in throwing to Tyreek. And are they going to use Hardman in a similar way that they used Tyreek his rookie season with a lot of you know, jet sweeps, pop passes, um, wide receiver, you know, because what wide receiver screens, because what he really does well is he really is fast vertically. So I think he's I think he's really interesting attacking the team as a vertical deep run um, more than I don't know that he's got all that wiggle that Tyreek. I mean, Tyreek is special with the ball in his hands. Hardeman is fast, so I'm not sure they can be used exactly the same, but I feel like they might try to 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 get the similar type of jump off offense or offensive game plan for Hardeman, maybe that they had for Tyreek as a rookie. We'll, we'll wait and see, but um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if uh, Mahomes utilizes Hardeman as a, as a, as a deep target, because if there's one quarterback in the league who doesn't give a care about where he's going to fling the ball, if he's, you know, if he thinks he can make a play, it's, it's Pat Mahomes. And if you've got Pat Mahomes saying, "Hey, let's split out Hardman wide. I want him as my, you know, as the Z, and let's let's run him down the field." I guarantee you, he'll get behind corners. He'll he'll have opportunities if they use him in that way. So I'm kind of interested to see how he's used. He wasn't a big producer at Georgia, mm-hmm. but that's because he had a lot of target competition. They didn't throw it a ton either. I mean, they they are going to be run first, row second. And then they had a lot of mouths to feed, like you just mentioned. So, yeah, I, I, but that could really change in the NFL if if Mahomes likes him, if he has, if he vibes with him. 
you can't chase field stretchers week to week on the waiver wire. When you're spending your fab, you need to hold out for the breakout running backs. And there were no big injuries, which was great to see among the running backs, especially in week one. So there's no running back where you're pushing all your chips into the middle of the table this week. And because of that, I'm holding my fab budget back. Also, there's so many choices. You can just put a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there, a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there across all these breakout field stretchers, and you'll get somebody for a great value when the waivers run this week. And McCole Hardman won't even be expensive because he didn't break out. And a lot of people are assuming it's going to be the Sammy Watkins show. So McCole Hardman is my favorite value bet on the waiver wire this week. I would rather have Hardman than Marquise Brown. Do you agree? Yes. As I think Marquise is going to be a very, well, number one, you, you, go, you start with the quarterbacks. Lamar versus Mahomes, that's a no-brainer from a, from a passing standpoint. I mean, it's not, even, it's not even close. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think, I think what you're going to see from Hollywood is Hollywood's going to be who is his player comp. It is going to be big flashes and very pedestrian days for him. For me, Hardman has the chance to get five touches a game where I think Hollywood could be anywhere from between two and five. Hardman could go up to seven plus in certain games. So, yeah, and the other guy, look, despite the game against the Dolphins, Mahomes is a known touchdown thrower. And I just mentioned to you, Hardman's speed is like is in a 4-2 range. He can get by anybody who's guarding him. So if, if Andy Reid can scheme him into situations to get him in one-on-one coverage without safety help over the top, well, that's a no-brainer. And Yeah, yeah. Why overspend for the field stretcher on the Ravens logging 12 snaps a game when you can get the field stretcher on the Chiefs getting a full complement of snaps per game? Yeah. The choice is easy. But if there was a breakout rookie that I'd prefer above all others, it's Terry McLaurin. Because Terry McLaurin, not only is he a starter with the four three wheels and the downfield playmaking ability, he could be the number one on his team. And that's a big deal. Yes, and, and I would agree with you. I think when you look at McLaurin, any time that I'm looking for a fantasy receiver, I want a guy who has a chance to... Number one, obviously, you want targets. Uh, number two, you want touchdowns. But then lastly, I think you want a chance to know that your your wide receiver is going to have a good rapport with your quarterback. That's very, very important. We mentioned it with, with Thielen versus you know Stephon Diggs. And when you look at McLaurin, you've got a rookie who is a hard, hard worker, who is a guy who spends a lot of time at his craft. And I know that from doing research and work on him. And so when you take a look at a, a player like that, Quarterbacks are going to love those guys, and that's why early success is going to give them a lot more confidence to continue continue to utilize him. So, yeah, and now he's going to have his ups and downs as a rookie, but I do think there's a better chance that he'll have the rapport you're looking for, even though I still think, you know, on most teams, he's maybe somewhere between wide receiver three, wide receiver four on most fantasy teams. I still think he's more of a flex option uh, or a flex consideration when it's all said and done simply because of the situation, you know, he has there in totality. But once again, if he's got speed, he's got blazing speed. And if the quarterback play is good enough and if Case Keenum really vibes with him, then all of a sudden he's going to be the guy that he's looking for pre-snap to, to 
find a way to get him the ball. The number one option. Will Debo Samuel become the number one option for Jimmy Garoppolo sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think so. And the reason is because <laughs> it's easy to get on the ball. Hitches, you know, jet sweeps. Now, typically in a Kyle Shanahan offense, it, you know, it's a lot of play action stuff. But to me, I do think there is a chance that Debo Samuel, I've always felt this, that as the season progresses, he'll become a bigger, bigger factor out there. Little Paris Campbell. Same arc for Campbell. No more Devin Funches. He's going to see the field a lot more. I think with Funches's injury, you have to consider. So we saw the little reverse to Campbell, and then he shot like a rocket. And, you know, I think he gained six or seven yards on the play. Um, but yes, I would say with Funches out now, you got your two tight ends who are all obviously going to continue to be in the mix. TY is right there, but the gadget player is Campbell. And I think one of the things that makes Campbell intriguing is that Ohio State didn't use him as a deep ball threat. I do think the Colts see him as a potential deep ball threat. The question is, is it going to change at all with Jacoby Brissett instead of Andrew Luck? That's, you know, that's the big question mark there. But I, 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 I'm kind of in a wait-and-see mold on Paris for right now because they already had a lot of weapons to begin with. And I think they feel very strongly that Marlon Mack is headed for a 1,500-yard season this year. They think he can lead the league in rushing. And they have the type of offensive line to play bully ball. So I'm I'm not I'm a little bit right. I'm a little bit bearish on Paris Campbell right now because I do think they're going to really go back to establishing the run and and living off of the running game first. DJ Chark, Chris Conley, can either of these guys compete with Didi Westbrook to be the number one in Jacksonville, or were they just week one flashes? So I think Chark can. But Chark is going to be just like he was at LSU, where the volume targets. I think mean, I think the target volume is going to be a little suspect, and he's going to. You're going to have to get through highs and lows with him. You're going to have, you'll have a 14 point day with him, a, an occasional 18 point day with him, but uh, maybe even into the 20s. I just I think there are going to be other games where you're talking about three catches for 37 yards. So mm. based on the offense, based on kind of who he is as a player i don't think he's ever going to be a high volume target guy i think he's going to be a field stretcher and a guy who can who can flash with big games at times so we had some high profile player disappoint in week one joe mixon most notably also james connor Devontae adams which player are you bending your will to acquire and trade in fantasy football this week probably aaron jones i know aaron Rodgers really likes him he just got done facing the bears i mean what you know just face the Bears, man. How hard is it? Exactly. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You go target guys that just face the Bears like Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. Yeah, and I do think James Conner's still going to get his. But Aaron Jones, I think, has ability to catch. Oh, yeah. You know, Aaron Jones is going to catch passes, too. <clears throat> so I think both of those guys are fine. Mixon's the one that really makes me nervous because it's uh, he's got a toe issue. Those things take a while to heal. And there are some other backs. They just drafted two running backs behind him, and I think there's a belief that he won't be in Cincinnati next year. So at some point, they could get sideways with Mixon and kind of move away from him. So Mixon is the one who is a little more volatile to me. Connor is who he is. I don't think that's really going to change. And Aaron Jones just got done facing a, a terrific defense. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic with uh, those two. Trade for James Connor. Trade for Aaron Jones. What about Sony Michelle? Go get him. Or wait and see. It's it's the same thing. He's a Patriot running back, so 
at least he's going to get the short yardage touchdowns. But I think with Sony Michelle, if you've done this for any amount of time, you just know that there's going to be some heartbreaking days with him just based on how they the the, the Patriots may scheme it up against a certain defense. So, um, But I do think that he is going to get the short yardage carries. So anything around the goal line, I think the Patriots will try to muscle up with him since there's no Gronk around. Can I tell you why I'm trading for Sony Michelle right now? Miami, New York, Buffalo, Washington, New York, New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it helps. That's the next seven weeks. It helps. <laughs> you got to look at that schedule. Get the Terminator. Get Sony Michelle. But also get Aaron Jones. The, the beauty is Jamal Williams got a bunch of carries. And that may make the Aaron Jones owner a little less confident. Now's the time to strike. I like it. Are you ready to give up on Dante Pettis and Corey Davis after they posted zeros? Not Davis, but Pettis, uh, I would probably, I'd be ready to drop him. Not, I would not drop, uh, I mean, I would not give up on Davis. Not yet, no. Davis still has a chance to be a true alpha in the league, even though he hasn't looked the part for three years. We know Dante Pettis is a fake alpha because he was never an ex-receiver. And going back to his time at Washington, this is a possession receiver. Yeah. Right? So he's a slot plus. And so he needs snaps and targets to be relevant. If they're not even going to give him that, he needs volume to produce. If they're not going to give him opportunities, I mean, get the hell out of here, man. What a fraud. <laughs> well... Dante Pettis is the greatest fraud perpetrated on fantasy football in the last year. I never really bought into him. I guess it's because I knew him from the draft. He kind of shrunk at times in the moment. He's not that good. He's not that good. He was overdrafted last year. Yes, that's kind of who he was. And You agree that the 49ers reached for him last year, right? Yeah, but then again, the Titans reached for Corey Davis. So It's hard to find a bigger reach in the history of the draft than the Titans selecting Corey Davis inside the top 10, other than the Bengals selecting John Ross inside the top 10 in the same draft. Three wide receivers in the top 10, all reaches. That happens. It was ridiculous. A wide receiver out of Central Michigan, top 10? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How did that happen? He was, he was prolific, but... Uh... He was great in Central Michigan, but he didn't work out at the Combine. He was hurt. Even thinking back, it was still stunning. I remember when Roger Goodell announced the pick, I was stunned. I liked Corey Davis, and I was stunned. I was like, Central Michigan wide receiver who didn't work out because he has a foot problem in the top 10? Wow. Yep. A year later, another wow factor, Hayden Hurst in the first round. Thankfully, the Baltimore Ravens made it right. They righted the wrong by drafting Mark Andrews. Later in the draft. Mark Andrews for real? Oh. I mean, he's only as real as his quarterback allows him to be. I would be careful about going all in on him. And I would also I would also warn against, you know, thinking that Hayden Hurst is just going to be fading away. When you're talking about dealing with uh, a player like Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is a very specific kind of uh, pass-catching tight end. And I think when you when you're talking about a specific tight pass catching tight end, which is I think he needs to be down the field a little bit. He's a seam guy. Yeah, he's a seam guy, and I think that's a little hit or miss, especially with Lamar 
Lamar Miller, uh, Lamar uh, Jackson at quarterback. I think that that's not going to be one of those throws that he is going to target on a regular basis. So, and to me, that is still going to be for as many touchdowns as he threw against the Dolphins. You're still talking about a team that is going to lean heavily on Mark Ingram in the running game. So, I am not thinking it's mm. Mark Andrews' season just yet. Prove it. If we're not going to overreact to the Packers struggling against the Bears, you also can't overreact to the Ravens crushing the Dolphins. Can't go out here and sell all your Packers just like you can't go out and buy all the Ravens. Yes, 100% agree. What about Darren Waller? Is he for real? I think Darren Waller is going to be for real. He was a good receiver at Georgia Tech, just smoked mm. all the weed in the in the state. So that was an issue. And- <laughs> I mean, it's true. And then he, I remember talking to him about it at the East West Shrine game. And then he said he got himself straight. Well, it wasn't until Hard Knocks where I really learned the extent of what he was dealing with and how much, you know, addiction had grabbed him. And um, he's a big target. Anytime you have, I'm a firm believer in big wide receivers who turn into pass catching tight ends are going to be a problem because they have wide receiver pass catching talent, they have wide receiver route running ability. They just do it a little heavier than they had been before, and they do it against easier matchups for him, frankly. So I don't see any reason why Darren Waller will not be – he had a great camp. He had a great game in game one, and I think he's going to be a heavily, heavily targeted uh, pass-catching tight end because he's a big receiver, and that's what he is. And around the goal line – Can he outproduce TJ Hawkinson? No. Hawkinson is, Hawkinson is a dude. He always was a dude. People were too low on him in fantasy uh, drafts and auctions that I saw. And I think T.J. Hawkinson is going to be the real deal. I mean, he's a much better stud route runner and athlete than people gave him credit for because Noah Fant, you know, blew everyone away with his athletic ability. The fact is, man, Hawkinson can go, and he is talented at separating with his routes as well. We saw it uh, against Arizona, and I think Hawkinson is going to be a consistent fifty. You know, I think he's going to be a four catch, fifty yards per game type receiver as a baseline, but that's still a good nine-point day out of your tight end. That's pretty good, and you start mixing in the, the touchdowns. I think we'll see him in the neighborhood of six touchdowns this year. I think we're headed for a really solid year from him. Um, and Age 22. Goodbye, rookie tight end narrative. You don't fade the rookie tight ends when their names are TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, it's he's going to be a player. But I, but I do think Waller, I mean, directly to your point, I think it's going to be close. It could be a little closer because Waller's going to get those, you know, Waller's going to get those uh, red zone looks where Hawkinson may or may not. But I do think Hawkinson has a chance to work the deep, the intermediate middle on crossing routes. And I think he can turn a lot of 12 yard catches into 27 yard catches. Yeah, TJ Hawkinson ran a 4 7. Yeah, he was fast. 127.189th percentile burst score. This guy's an incredible athlete. He's the best tight end prospect to come out of college since Kellen Winslow. Um, How about that? That's pretty strong. I, but I had a really high grade on Winslow, and I have a really high grade on Hawkinson. So, I mean, I don't know. You might not be off on that one. Although he's not as – I mean, Kellen was just special, special, special. But Hawkinson is a very good tight end. Low bus factor. I, I mean, felt like he was maybe one of the safest. He's the next Travis Kelsey. <laughs> Let's just say it. He's good. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah had uh, had a Jason Witten comparison to him. I think he's better than Witten. He may not. He's not quite the athlete that Kelsey is, but we're talking about some really terrific tight ends. That's all you need to know. Pretty good company. 
Yeah, right? I yeah. Mean, he's not Gronk. People call him Gronk. He's not Gronk. No, 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 no. This Iowa program, George Kittle one year, TJ Hawkinson a couple years later. Woo! Noah Fant. Wow. Yep. That's what they do. That's the new tight end U. That's it. It's the new tight end U. Now, Chris Herndon went to the U, but he's suspended. Ryan Griffin logged a monster snap share. Full-time tight end, 40-plus routes. What does that tell you about Chris Herndon's role when he gets back? I think Herndon's role is going to be – I think he's going to be secure because they think Herndon is special. They think he has great ability and great potential. And we already saw that the quarterback really liked him last year in their, in their time together. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to hurt Herndon at all. I think once Herndon gets back, he is going to be very valuable in fantasy leagues. And so I would keep a close eye on him. He's probably out there on a waiver wire on most leagues, except in deeper keeper leagues maybe. Um, but, yeah, he's a player. He's a player. Unless you have Hawkinson or another top tight end, stash yes. Chris Herndon. 100%. Now, get you out of here on this. We need a bold prediction, Lance. I need a bold prediction for the rest of the season. Go super bold. I tell you what, here's a bold prediction for you. I believe that Matt Breida now is going to turn into a 1,300-yard running back. Yes. Now that Coleman is hurt, I think this is about to be Breida ball all the way down defense's throats. And I think you're going to see Matt Breida become yes. one of the most impactful running backs in fantasy football now that he's with full-time with, uh, with that offense. Thank you. Thank you. And two important notes on Matt Breida. Matt Breed is the perfect example of the sell-high fallacy. You cannot simply trade Matt Breida because he's now walked into an excellent situation because of the Tevin Coleman injury. You think, oh, I drafted him in the 8th, I drafted him in the ninth round, I'm now going to cash my chips in and sell high. Do not do that. If anything, you buy high. Fuck sell high. <laughs> That's right. Buy high on Matt Breida. That's right. Because this Tevin Coleman injury is not just a three- to four-week injury. Even when he comes back, Tevin Coleman is not going to be the same player. You're not the same after these high ankle sprains until the following season. That means that Matt Breida, who was already just as explosive and more elusive and better in the passing game than Tevin Coleman to start the season, is going to be the alpha in that backfield for the remainder of the season as long as he's healthy. I'm with you. I'm excited. I can tell. I'm so excited. I love players like Matt Breida. Yeah. Small school, explosive athleticism, underrated. He had that weird senior season where he disappointed expectations after being in the running for the Doak Walker Award. Remember that? It was weird. I remember. It's the same reason I like Austin Eckler. Same guy. Undersized with... All-purpose skill sets. They just need a chance. You give them an opportunity for whatever reason. Melvin Gordon holdout, Tevin Coleman injury, whatever it is. You put them in there, you wind them up, and they go. Whatever it is, you put them in there, you wind them up, and they go. That's why I'm looking for them to have a big year. That's my bold prediction. I love it, buddy. Thank you, Lance. 
So a lot of guys people loved in the process ended up being good in week one. Week one is, is one thing to be good in week 10. Week one? Yeah, it's pretty rare, especially for wide receivers. So that was, yeah. For AJ to get to 100, Hollywood to get to 100. Who else am I missing? McLaurin? Oh, yeah, Terry. Jeez, man. To get to 100, which was, I mean, it's interesting to see if he becomes wide receiver one over there, which... Why you know, not? it's not really saying a whole lot in their particular scenario, but um, yeah, it was a great game for him too. He was at the Senior Bowl, wasn't he? Yeah, his tape, his tape was just okay. But then the Senior Bowl, so I, I hadn't really watched his tape until I saw him at Senior Bowl, and I went back and watched. It was weird because you go from seeing really good Senior Bowl to just okay tape. But it, then it, it's kind of, despite it being unusual, what it tells you is he has the capability to do something. So you'd much rather shine at the Senior Bowl and be average on tape than shine on tape and be really average on the Senior Bowl because then it starts to bring up questions about can you handle you know level of competition. Who is that guy, the most disappointing guy, Jalen Smith from Louisville? He just seemed like a guy that was going to be good a couple of years ago, and then, like, he didn't check any boxes. I thought he looked completely disinterested because Lamar Jackson wasn't there and he had bad quarterback play after Lamar left. And, I mean, he just shut it down. I mean, it was too heavy. He stopped. He would quit on routes to turn into interceptions. I mean, it was – his tape was awful. It showed really low football character. And then, you know, he just didn't impress the senior ball and didn't impress obviously in camp. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, you have a chance. You're it can like, happen quick, though. You're so close, right? You have the, the physical tools, and mm -hmm. you're so close to making, like, a career and something that so many people would love to do, and to just kind of puke. Hard to get your head around that. When you're a young player, I think that's you just don't have the perspective of what this opportunity is. Like, you don't recognize, recognize it for what it is, which is your big chance. Yeah, because we're, like, 40 years old, so we get it. <laughs> Yeah, we're like forty-year-old guys. Like you guys, are, you guys gotta realize what you have here. Yeah, how can yeah. they not see this as their chance? But um, the good thing is, is if he figures it out, you know, you can always um, try to get yourself straightened up, and he's still got time to make it. But I just don't know that he has the football character to do it. Um, yeah, McLaurin's well on his way. <laughs> he looked great. I saw him interviewed after a, a camp session. Oh, he's impressive. Oh, my God, man. Him and Dwayne Haskins, both. Them together in the film room is just special. But what I really liked about him was that I saw him working with cornerbacks after he beat them. When he was off to the side, when they were doing one-on-ones, he was showing cornerbacks some things that he did in, their, in his release that got him open that he was helping the cornerbacks understand how to stop releases. Like, I, I've never really seen that before. Like, he was... He was working with the defensive backs on his own team um, to try to help them after the, after he was burning them. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, I'm like, what is this guy, like a kinesthetic expert? A savant? Is he, is he like a scientist? Is he a biologist? Like, how, how is this guy so good at this? Yeah, he really was. Understanding the, the torque and technique and leverage and all these things. And I'm like, this is a rookie? Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, he was a gunner, too, on punt team. So you end up seeing one or two guys over the top of you. So you really have to get sharp and smart with your releases. And then you really have to understand how to use your the angles and your weight and, and leverage to get out from under, you know, uh, the, the jam on, on punt cover. So mm. he has that experience of really having people in his face. And so 
you know, he just logical next step was that he was ready to go and he was ready to 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 break it. And I think that's going to be the same thing in pros, obviously. That's one week, but we'll see. It's trending up. Well, Alex Dunlap was at the Senior Bowl, and I talked to him right after he got back, and he said it was an underwhelming group, but Debo is a dog. Like, he will go after everything, and nothing can stop him. Mm -hmm. And he said, Terry McLaurin is a player. And that's about it. (laughs) But he was like, Debo and Terry were head and shoulders above the other guys. That stuck on. I was like, McLaurin, I mean, he's not producing a lot, but he's got a lot of competition for targets there. Spread him out quarterback and system. I'm going to take this seriously. You have to take a 4-3 seriously anyway. And all these guys with 4-3s, like, showed out in week one. (laughs) John Ross. Yeah, NFL speed matters. Woo! Yeah, and we'll see eventually Paris Campbell will will be in that same territory, but... Right? Right? Paris Campbell. Hollywood. Paris Campbell's coming, man. Why not? He's, he's next. Yeah, Hollywood is a 4-3-40 guy, so you don't have to worry about the time. Even though he couldn't run, trust me, he's a 4-3-40 guy. Love that. <laughs> the bait and then the fisherman, right? I saw the bait and the fisherman. It would have been better if you had a Miami Dolphins reference, too, but... Dante Pettis is the greatest fraud perpetrated on fantasy football in the last year. I love the Christian McCaffrey show. Yeah, that show does well. You just debunked the book, The Blind Side. (laughs) I mean, it's really important to read. It's not even hyperbole. Good receiver at Georgia Tech just smoked all the weed in in the state. You don't fade the rookie tight ends when their names are TJ Hawkinson. Prove it. My God, man. Every $100,000 is looked at carefully. He's the best tight end prospect to come out of college since Kellen Winslow. Um, Fuck, sell high, buy high on Matt Breida. Man, that was good. genuflect at the feet of the player that won me my matchup!